Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guest is the founder and CEO of BYP Network, a digital platform that has been described as connecting Black professionals with each other and corporations. Our guest has also been recognized as a leader in tech and has won many prestigious awards, including Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2019, and was named one of FT's top 100 BAME leaders in technology. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email questions at businessleader.co.uk to get in touch. And now it's time to welcome Kike on a wind day to the podcast. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Just to start us off, can you tell me a bit about your story leading up to starting BYP Network? Uh, Yeah, sure. So BYP now is about five and a half years old and it started in 2016 off the back of Black Lives Matter. But it all stemmed from my own experiences leading up to that moment and me realising like, hold on, there is a bigger issue going on in the black community that I never quite spotted until this moment. Um, So what I mean by that is I grew up in East London, you know, a very diverse area, went to a local state school, um, again, a diverse state school. And I did well academically, so A-stars at school. And I also did well in sports. So I represent Great Britain, won loads of national competitions. Um, so I used to get a lot of opportunities. Um, so whether that's bursaries, scholarships, internships, I used to always get them. And what I found was that transition, kind of being in the world of work, in, you know, my first internships and realising there wasn't people that looked like me. And that was very strange. Like, OK, I'm from just around the corner here I am in this big office and the other black people are cleaners and security guards. So I noted that as weird and I felt uncomfortable, but I couldn't quite, you know, pinpoint what that was. And then I, you know, I went off and studied economics at the University of Nottingham. And again, even on my course, there was only a few black people, a handful of black people on the economics course. And even one thing I noticed as well is a lot of people graduated with a tutu or below, the, like a lot of the black students. And I remember thinking, okay, that's strange. And that was later backed up by a stat saying that black students are more likely to get a 2-2 and below. And then also I went off to the University of Florida. So I got a full track for scholarship out there, had a great time. Um, and I remember thinking that I didn't realize there's so many talented, you know, black students that are doing loads of different stuff, not just sports, not just music, because the media only shows one narrative of America as well, you know, entertainment and sports. Even though I was there for sports scholarship, I think my eyes was kind of opened up a bit more. And so, yeah, when I came back to the UK, that was 2016, that was Black Lives Matter. And it was all these experiences that kind of came to the forefront. And then when I was looking more into it, the stats backed it up as well. And you mentioned that, you know, you went to university and you realised that there are specific, I suppose, barriers which stop Black students uh, in particular from achieving, say, like a 2-1 in a first compared to like their peers. What do you think are like the specific barriers that make this a reality? So there's a whole educational pipeline problem anyway. Um, I'm sure we're seeing it in the news a lot about what black students are going through in school. So whether it was child Q going through that humiliating ordeal of being searched naked, essentially, um, or even this young boy, Raheem, who's just gone through racist bullies in South Wales. There is this situation with schooling anyway, where There is, you know, whether it's microaggression, bullying, racism, whatever it is towards some black students, that is felt and it's felt along the journey. And that's also that student telling you, oh, you can't apply to Oxbridge. You're not good enough. You won't get in. A lot of my peers have a story like that. I mean, I have a story like that about maths, 
even though I did further maths, being told, oh, you know, I don't believe you're going to get the A grade or A star grade, so I'm going to predict you a B, even though I had like 95 out of 100 in my, in my AS exam. So I even went through that and that led to a confidence dip for me, for maths. And there's loads of examples like that. And then what happens when you go to university, it's a very different way of learning as well where it's like you have to plan your time, you have to know how to pass the exam, you have to really speak to the lecturer. There's a lot more to it and you have to work together as well with other students where I feel like maybe that wasn't something in many state schools that we grew up with or understood. Whereas I feel like grammar schools and independent schools and private schools better prepare people for university. So I think that's also part of it, if I'm being honest. Um, But then again, I remember in my final year of university, they allowed us to kind of, speak to the lecturer about our results, something that was very new. And the reason I was marked down a bit was because I, I was putting the word maybe instead of it is. And that's why my points dropped significantly. So I did end up coming out with a 2-1, but literally just scraped it. But again, a lot of my peers either scraped it or didn't get it. Whereas there'll be others that didn't look like us that were getting first class and two ones. Um, and then there was a stat later on, not just my university, all universities, that showed black students were dropping out of university more, not getting the right grades, not feeling supported or going through discrimination and racism and stuff. Were there any specific experiences that you had which motivated you to create the YP network? It was Black Lives Matter 2016, everything that was happening, seeing all the traumatic videos on Twitter, you know, tweeting and being like, this has to change, it's terrible, what's going on? And really feeling that pain and thinking something has to change. And then me then reflecting and realizing, okay, actually when I connect the dots, this has happened, that's happened. I didn't realize that happened too. You know, that you look back and you realize certain things that didn't make sense now make sense because of the current climate. I was working in FinTech in a startup company. And even there as well, I realized, okay, where are all the black people? There's not that many black people even in startups. So it's like, I generally just didn't understand where we were. And so I was naturally curious to find other black professionals you know, see what's out there. How do we connect with each other? How do we understand how to progress in the world of work? I'm new, I'm a graduate, I've just entered, what now? And it did feel like, what now? How do we move forward here? Just for context, I did have a business background. So my master's was in management. You know, I did business for GCSEs. I had started a clothing line when I was 18 with my friend. So I had a bit of business background in me anyway. So when I decided that, okay, BYP Network needs to be created because one, all of this is going on. Two, I'm a graduate and I'm not seeing us. I can't find us. And three, when I'm doing my research, a lot of the companies are saying the talent doesn't exist. There's no black talent. They can't find a pipeline. That was always the recurring theme. And one thing I realized about some of the options that existed, it was very elitist. And I just didn't really subscribe to that. I felt like it would be only for Russell Group Universities or Oxbridge. um, And then everyone else was kind of left to the wayside to figure it out. One thing I had noticed is that after graduation, once you work a year or two, you can work anywhere. You know, people care more about the experience actually than the university after some time. And so I was very much about, I want a platform, I want a community where we leave our titles at the door and everyone comes to help each other and grow together. So I already started it with that kind of mindset. And that's essentially how BRP started. I just hosted an event. It sold out in like three days. (laughs) And it was a lot of black professionals coming together and just having a good time. Do you think there's something unique about the experience of Black professionals that made a platform like BYP so crucial at the point in time in which you started it? Yeah, absolutely. And it still is. I mean, again, we see it all the time 
with news pieces. There's so many coming out in the independent recently of like people's experience in the workplace facing racism. So having to, you know, sue the organizations. I mean, look what's happened in at Tesla. You have the whole, I think, California state suing Tesla for their racism to black employees. It is unique because most times you are the only black person in that organization or in the room. And you feel that, you know, you suddenly feel seen, but not in a good way. So very visible, which means that any mistake you make, you're representing the whole community. It's not just your own mistake. And it also means that you're not given the room to fail. And we all know that failure is what leads to success. So imagine not feeling free to fail, free to do things wrong, because actually you'll be reprimanded by it or it's so visible or you feel othered, you feel awkward. Um, and so you kind of come into an environment where you just don't feel like yourself. You know, you feel strange already. You feel a bit like, I guess there's a bit of anxiety in you. People say imposter syndrome, but the imposter syndrome is more just because you can see you're hyper visible. Um, and then on top of that, if there isn't black leaders in the company and you've come in kind of as an entry level, it's hard to see how you can be that leader in that company. So you have to now think about breaking ceilings, you know, when really maybe if you had the representation, you'd feel more comfortable. So that also happens. Um, I know a lot of members who say they've trained up interns who then become their boss. <laughs> you know, things like that really does happen or they're underestimated. So they know what they can bring to the table, but they're being micromanaged and underestimated simply because they're black or they're a black woman. Of course, it's such a complex issue that there really is, I guess, so many different solutions or aspects of it that you can think might benefit black professionals and, and ele elevate people to kind of executive roles and whatnot. But do you think that there is clear solution to it or is there something that is the most important thing in your mind that could be a solution? Great question. So when I started BYP Network, my view was the solution is get a pipeline of black professionals, get companies solved, you know, because companies are saying they can't find the talent, it doesn't exist. Where's the pipeline, where's the talent pool? But it's so much more nuanced than that, because as we know, there are biases, you know, there are recruitment standards that are different in every company. You know, there's culture fit that people say, there's rules that people don't know about. So I say a lot of the time, you know, some of my early experience in banking, I was fortunate enough to know what I needed to know to get in. When I first got in, it was through a program. And so we didn't have to do, let's say, um, psychometric tests. But then when I got in, that's when they were telling us, okay, you're going to need to do psychometric tests. This is how you have to do it. So that when you're applying whilst at university, that's how you make it through. But if you didn't know that information, you'll get caught out. And that's what we're seeing. A lot of black professionals or students, they apply for roles, but they're dropping out the first stage because they can't make it past that first hurdle. Or even stuff like competency questions, they're looking at the speed of your answers, but you don't know that. So you're taking a bit longer to think, mm, okay, well, and then you're marked down. So there's so much information that I think black professionals are not aware of that they need to be aware of. And then also on the corporate side, they need to be trained up for these you know, biases that exist. And I guess now five and a half years in at BIP Network, that's what our solutions are here to do because of our learnings. The platform has been described many times as, as having the aim to change the Black narrative. What does this mean to you? And do you think you have changed the Black narrative? Yeah, great question. So change the Black narrative for me basically means or meant a new view of the Black community. You know, and what I mean by new view is that our view of ourselves isn't necessarily negative, but the media view seems to be negative. It would be 
something to do with knife crime, gun crime, uh, low attainment rates, poverty. You know, every day or every other day you get a new article that says, you know, black people have less income than white people. <laughs> Just something that's always negative that reinforces your status as the bottom. And I think that gets frustrating. We don't want to keep seeing these negative news, especially when you're around people who aren't, doesn't fit into that category that they say, or you're questioning, okay, where are they getting this information from? Okay, they pulled 500 people and that's how they got the information. But it's like, that's not everyone's life experiences. And black people are not a monolith. So you can't just say, okay, black people are criminals. No, that's not true. There are many criminals in all cultures, but it's very negative news. And then when it comes to organizations, again, the hiring and retention of black talent, that's always a problem. And it's always the same thing. Oh, for some reason, they're just not good enough. For some reason, they're not getting past our pipeline. For some reason, black professionals just underperform. So there's always this kind of negative news on black professionals. What we've done at BYP Network is, one, we've really highlighted role models, like black role models, black leaders and young professionals that exist in organizations that are making a difference. You know, the difference could be the fact that they even got the role in a unique way that others might not think about or how they got promoted three times in the space of two years or them being a managing director at the company. And even though they're the only one that looks like them, this is how they got through it. So we've been a source of information, knowledge, thought leadership and confidence. You know, we're able to empower the community by seeing representation. And I think that's been part of the problem. Secondly, with corporates, We've worked with over a thousand clients to some capacity. So whether it's our job board or our leadership conference, our mentorship program, we work with these companies and their aim is to be an employer of choice for black professionals. So it's kind of like we flipped it on the head where these companies are marketing to our members of, hey, come work for us. This is our culture. This is what we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to apply. And that in itself is powerful because our members turn around and say, wow, I didn't even know that company existed or I didn't even know that company would be looking for someone like me to work there. Or I didn't know there was that many black professionals at that company, but BYP has highlighted it. So again, that builds that confidence and that desire to, okay, I'll, I'll apply, knowing that they work with BYP Network. And then again, just the fact that we exist as an organization. So the reason we're not a charity is because I've always said it's not charitable to hire black talent. And a lot of the programs that deal with hiring of black talent or anything to do with black professionals is always a charity or NGO. That puts it in the corporate's mind or the, or the company's minds that, oh, I'm doing a good thing. This is CSR. You know, let's get some black people in the, in the organization. Hey, employees. Hey, colleagues. Here are some black people we've got from this charity. And then the mindset is, oh, you know, this is just charitable. And that devalues the individual straight away because the mind of others is to underestimate them. They came from a charity. So BYP was kind of like, no, this is talent, just like everybody else. You make a really good point there um, that there are loads of schemes, especially ones like BAME, uh, which have the ambition to uh, to make the workplace more diverse. But in actuality, you can have the inverse effect. BAME, for example, does really hurt uh, marginalize people into into a homogenous group which can actually have a negative impact because these people don't all have the same experiences so my question to you is do you think that terms such as BAME are good for marginalized communities? BAME is an interesting one because a lot of people don't like the term BAME because it pretty much just means everybody but white people 
And BAME in terms of the world isn't a minority. Again, black people aren't even a monolith, let alone BAME. And then also the focus within BAME is there's different weights. You know, the A might be doing better than the B or the ME is doing better than the, the, the A. So BYP, the reason we're black professionals is because, again, black lives matter was the thing. It wasn't BAME lives matter. The black experience is different to the Asian experience, for example. And we know that. But at the same time, even within that, there are nuances. So we know in the black community, it seems like Nigerians are really outperforming some of the other you know, African countries and Caribbean countries. So I think BAME is, is one of those things that it is dying out, but people don't know what to use instead. So I know a lot of people say people of color, but then people, nobody likes people of color. But I understand that it is very long to say black, Asian, minority, ethnic, white. So I think that's still a conversation that's happening. But what's happening as well is that there is a focus on the individual B-A-M-E. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's really important to have open dialogue around this. You mentioned the impact that the Black Lives Matter movement had on BYP Network. I'm just wondering, how did the Black Lives Matter movement impact you on a personal level? but also what impact did it have on the Black narrative and your perspective of the work that you do? Yeah, so BLM is the reason I started BYP Network. So as in that whole situation in 2016 is what kind of made me realise the situation for the Black community. I'd say before that, I was going through the journey, but not taking note of you know those details or why is it different? Why did I feel that way in that environment? How are black professional students doing in the world? But it was that movement that kind of made me really think and open my eyes to the climate and to the situation. So it changed me on a personal level just because I became very passionate on this area. Where I'd say before I was an athlete, you know, focused on, on my sports, academics, whatever. And that was my biggest passion, whereas this actually overtook it. But mainly, again, because I was so shocked by the trauma. I was so shocked by the way that Black people are just being killed left, right and centre, you know, in America. By the way it was being reported, by then reading more and seeing that, yeah, we're not in these workplaces. Yeah, we're not getting funding. Yeah, we're told we're at the bottom. It just was this, wow, I've been doing so well as an individual. But yes, when I look around, others don't look like me. In your opinion, is the professional world changing quickly enough for for Black professionals? It's not changing quickly enough, no, but there is a lot of work to be done. There is no silver bullet. And that's one thing I've learned on this journey. Like I said, when I first started, I just thought there is a silver bullet. Here's Black professionals, here's companies, that's it. But the realisation is it's so much more nuanced than that, right? Like I said, there's biases, there's things that people don't know that they need to know to get in. There's culture fit. Now there's remote work versus in-person office work. There's just so much to it. So no, it's, it's, it's not moving fast enough, but there's a lot of work that still needs doing. Can you tell me what BYP Network does to empower Black professionals in the workplace? BYP Network in general, what we do with companies is they sign up to kind of annual packages. And that would be to do with an event or a webinar where they can talk a bit about their um, internal culture or on a specific topic. So we've had about a hundred or so events now with companies, different companies. It could be how to get into sales, how to uplift your tech career, whatever it is. And with a soft sell about the company, and it always will be 
to do with the employees internally. So one, our members get to learn from that company, but also kind of understand the culture a bit more. And then there'll also be a content piece. And that would be uh, a spotlight on someone in the organization that's doing great or doing big things. And again, that's to help our members understand what's going on or how they can accelerate in their own career. Um, And then we also have our job board where they obviously post their roles on the job board and people from our community apply directly. And then with that, we have our leadership conference, which takes place every year. So we've got one coming up on the 6th of October this year, and it will be in in person and virtual at the same time. Um, And again, loads of companies come to that for thought leadership, for black professionals to connect with each other, network, see role models. But the two things that we launched recently is one, our mentorship program. And the reason we launched that is we realized that our members needed to get inside the companies. You know, they needed to understand deeply, okay, what does it take to get a job here at Meta or at Zendesk? How do you help coach me into that? How do I make sure I practice my interview skills? How do I make sure my CV matches up the right way? How do I even know this is the company I want to join? So the mentorship program essentially connects them to an employee in the company. And, you know, they speak basically once a month for an hour, or it could be more. And it's normally a six month program. And many of our companies have hired off the back of that. We've also got 100% NPS scores because of the impacts it's had on the individual. So even if it's confidence building or leadership building. And what I also like about the mentorship program is that it's not just about getting a job there. They can get a job somewhere else, but they've got the confidence now and they've got those skills that they needed. So that was very, very important. It still is important. I do think that if every company employees can connect to one of our members or even just any younger individual, disadvantaged individual, let's say, that can make a huge difference. It's like that each one teach one. So that was launched for our members mainly. And then the second thing we launched was the Black Experience course. And this is a two hour CPD accredited course for corporations, for companies, for their employees, talent managers, hiring managers, leaders, C-level, whatever it is, so that they can understand the Black experience a bit more. Um, And that's been very, very impactful as well. And I think that was something that was necessary because we realized education is on both sides. Within BYP Network itself, um, I've seen a video of you sort of saying that you let your employees kind of sleep within their work breaks and kind of rest whenever they feel like it. What kind of atmosphere do you think is important within your own business? So what I was saying is that um, it is good to let people nap. And our company is mainly remote anyway, but people come in like once or twice a week and we have like a sofa area, but we don't, we're not monitoring people like that. If they want to nap, they can nap. If they want to just go for a walk, they can go for a walk. And I think that was the key thing I was trying to highlight. Me, for example, I, I'm, I'm a napper as well. And that helps me feel energized to keep going. I remember a company let us be in their office and I took a nap just randomly. And then I got flagged to the company's sea level <laughs> and was like told off. And I remember thinking, okay, I need my own office because that's important to me, you know? And as someone who used to do sports, napping was super important to feel rejuvenated and to go again to train again or to go and continue with my studies essentially i think one thing we're seeing especially in this kind of post-covid world is that employees want that flexibility you know they want the ability to come in if they want to or not come in kind of have that option the hours as well let's say normal hours is nine to six or nine to five they might work at midnight and you don't know because that's how they work better but they do all the stuff that they need to do I think the key is just not forcing things. As long as they're getting their work done well, as long as they're working well as a team, that's what's most important. Um, And this year specifically for us has been a good year of just growing the team and 
you know, the culture and things like that. And it's definitely not easy. And I think hiring is number one, getting your hiring right is important, not skipping the processes, you know, really asking the right questions and really seeing early on if they're the right fit. And I think also when you see, you know, an employee that isn't maybe good for the, for the, for the company or the way they say things or talk, you know, (laughs) talk in a toxic way or whatever, you need to stand that out quite quickly. Otherwise it can spread. Yeah, that's a really good tip for our audience and business leaders. You're on the GB Javelin team. Is there anything you took from being an athlete that transcends to being a founder and CEO in terms of your mindset or the way that you work? Yeah, I think being an elite sports person definitely was an easy transition for me because it's hard work. It's hard work, it's resilience, it's doing things you don't necessarily want to do, going through the pain, overcoming it, seeing great results, seeing bad results. So I think there's a lot of similarities with sports and entrepreneurship. And they always say with entrepreneurs, they have to have this kind of mindset of like audacious goals. We're going to create something that's never been created before. And the same for sports. You have to have that mindset that you are the best. You can be the best. You're going to win every competition. So it was very much an easy transition for me. You started BYP Network when you were 24 years old. How has the way you approach being a CEO and leader changed since then? Yeah, I think it's up and down is what I realized, you know, like, let's say right at the start of 24, it's like, again, that audacious goal of must change the black narrative now, globally, everywhere, you know, just get that done to realizing, okay, this is actually harder than I thought. Okay, then let's re-strategize um, and realize, okay, what can we tackle now? Or what area can we go into? So it's almost like when I first started, it was just like, I want to grab everything. And then it's narrowed into realizing, okay, what can we solve? What can we be part of solving? And and making a difference in and then how do we slowly kind of grow that out or how do we grow that out in the best way it's been years of just yeah of just learning and obviously with that I started out just being a one-man band and then we've grown to a team of like 25 and that's going to keep growing so also learning how to be you know a CEO and leader learning how to delegate the roles and responsibilities change you know at the start I'm doing everything and then now it's like no you can't do everything so you're delegating or you're just doing the bits that you need to really do so I think it's just uh, from 24 to 29, you know, these last five years, it's just been going through the the journey, going through the growing pains, but realizing that there's so much to be done always. So not being too hard on myself at the same time. And of course, you're about to have a baby. How will this impact your role within BYP? But also, do you have a new approach to, to the way that you work now? So I don't know. I guess you could ask me that in uh, <laughs> some months or years time or so. For me, I'm just going forward, if that makes sense, and allow myself to feel how I need to feel or be how I need to be. For example, I'm like, okay, a baby's coming, have everything set up that I need. I understand that I'll take some time off, but maybe I might still be available on email or something like that. It's that kind of understanding of what does or doesn't need to be done or, or preparing the team so that when I am away, it's okay. I think things I think about is just kind of like, okay, childcare, for example, how would that um, fit in? It's me learning from mums before me. You know, this has always been a topic in the world of work. When women hit a certain age, whatever, when they start having children, there's a view that, you know, many women drop off. They leave their world, the world of work because they want to focus on their children or their ambition isn't the same or some become more ambitious. I don't know. I think it's exciting to be on this journey to kind of finally, sounds weird, but finally enter the conversation because <laughs> um, I hear it all the time, but I, I can't relate because I wasn't part of it. So I am intrigued. I personally am intrigued. And so you'd have to catch up with me to see how that goes. <laughs>
And has your perspective on, on that conversation changed whilst you've been pregnant? Like, do you think maybe more needs to be done to support women in the workplace in, in general, like, you know, during pregnancy? It's a really hard one because everyone's pregnancy journey is different. So, for example, I've been fortunate. I've had a good pregnancy. You know, I hadn't, didn't have any morning sickness, just a bit of fatigue here and there, but it didn't impact my work, I'd say. Whereas there could be women who are sick the whole time, right? Or they're just tired the whole time or they just lose energy. Everyone is different. So I think it just has to be based on how that individual feels and what they think is the best option. I think one thing I've realized is like, personally, I'm just like, oh, it feels a bit unprofessional to carry my baby bump to a meeting. But that's what I've got in my own head. I wouldn't say anyone put it there and said it's unprofessional for you to be here in a meeting. So I think you just naturally feel a bit more conscious. I think, I guess, when my baby's here, am I going to be the mum that takes the baby to a meeting or not? So, yeah, and I'm not too sure yet. I, I Again, I've had a good pregnancy. So I feel like I feel like people who have to talk about it are the ones that struggled because they had a bad pregnancy or they needed more support. But I'm in a bit of a different situation, especially as the, the founder. Yeah, you mentioned that. That is just a natural thing I think a lot of women have in their head when they do have children is you have these thoughts that make you self-conscious about the way that you enter the workplace and the way that you kind of handle yourself. We had Alice Stevenson on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was saying how when she would leave work at sort of like 5pm everybody was staying a little bit later but she had to go and pick up her kids and so that just became something that she was essentially judged for and so how can we change this sort of narrative around women in the workplace who have kids is there something that we can do so interestingly enough I think because of COVID things have already changed you know no one's now watching if you know Alex leaves the office at 5 p.m because they don't know when she's gone to go and pick up her kids and maybe she might take that time to pick up her kids and come you know log back in once they're put to bed just for an hour to catch up on what she didn't do so I think flexible working has helped. Hybrid working, you know, working from home has really, really helped. And I think that's why there's big pushback on people going back into the office. And I think, again, there's a lot of research that shows that working mums have really benefited during this pandemic in terms of getting new jobs or the flexibility and it's helped them. I, again, just think it's about employers just kind of having that empathy or that understanding that, OK, look, they need to pick up their kid or they might not be able to make this time, but they can make a later time and just kind of, Moving around that, I think, is what's important. I think it gets difficult when it's clear that the individual needs, you know, childcare or they need more support in that way because they're always missing meetings or every Zoom there's a kid crying or a kid on their lap. But I think that, one, offices can figure out a way of providing the childcare or based on the salary that they're paying the individual, they need to kind of figure out, can I get a nanny in or what can we do in that sense? But again, I'm just starting the journey, so <laughs> I'll, I'll have more clarity once uh, I'm, a, I'm a few months in. We'll have to have another podcast probably with you as a guest in a, in a couple of months to see what your response is. Um, you're about to be a mother. You've also um, experienced significant loss in your life. Your, your mum has recently passed away. Can you tell me about how this impacted you and, and maybe how this impacted your work as a CEO? Yeah, it was very, very hard. It still is, obviously, uh, any kind of loss. And those that know every podcast or everything I go on, I always talk about my mum, how much she's like my role model or, or, you know, just how much I love her, essentially. It's a shock, right, to the system. I, sometimes I think I'm a I'm a soon-to-be mother without a mother, <laughs> but I'm a daughter about to have, you know, a, a daughter, essentially. And I think 
for me, it's a silver lining because it's like, I just feel like my mom's coming back. You know, I know there's that saying, one goes, one comes. Um, and it does kind of feel that way. So I think I've been fortunate in a sense that I know I have like my silver lining coming. I have my joy coming. I have like this new life that I get to bring and cultivate. And I think that has helped. I think maybe if I didn't have that, if it was just this kind of emptiness, it'll be a lot harder because it's just that constant memory of, you know, I've lost my mom. She's not around. You know, obviously there's a lot to look forward to, but again, it just feels like, okay, she's coming back in a new form. <laughs> so it hasn't, it affected me, you know, for a good month or so. I took time out um, and, you know, had a great team. So the company was still, still did fine. But then it was, I was still motivated to keep going in my work. I don't see a situation and think it's negative. You know, the loss of my mom, I just think, okay, well, it must have happened for a reason. You know, that's more always been my mindset. Um, there's a reason for all of it. And when I look at my life, it's always been positive, as in anything negative that happens turns into a positive. Good things always happen to me. So I still carry that same view and belief. So even though my mom's gone, I'm like, okay, well, there must be a reason for it. And already just, you know, in these kind of near six months, I feel like I've been so blessed. <laughs> I feel like things are a bit different. Like I, I feel like things are just dropping into place that never dropped into place before. So I definitely do feel her energy around and I do feel that kind of connection. So for me, it's more like I, I look forward to many, many years time when I'm reunited in that way, knowing that it could be a celebration because I've done great things on the earth, making her proud. So, yeah. How has that loss impacted uh, the way you approach your work or even just your motivation? Has it kind of shifted that in any way? So one of the things I used to always battle with was celebration. I'm not someone who really celebrates or someone who really kind of takes things in. I'm just, I go forward. That's always me. Okay, on to the next, on to the next. Whereas now after the loss, it's more like I'm taking things in a lot more, <laughs> which is interesting. So I'm really just enjoying the moments and I'm really just celebrating my win, small or large. I'm a lot more excited about things, you know, like, oh, that's great. Oh, this can happen. I'm understanding that, you know, death is real essentially. And you don't want to kind of, I don't say the word waste your life, but you don't want to kind of just zoom through life, look back and think, oh my God, all that happened. Like I actually want to enjoy the journey and really experience what's going on, taking the sights, taking the views. And that's what I'd say losing my mum has done. Um, and that's something she's always wanted from me as well. So weirdly enough, that's, yeah, that's what's now has happened. It's really good that something that should have been a tragedy has actually enabled you to live in the moment and enjoy your personal journey, as well as the journey of growing BYP Network. Do you have a particular BYP success story that sticks out in mind? Yeah, we have so many. Um, but what always makes me laugh is that we tend to find out like in person. So good examples that we had our first BY Peers event. I can't remember when, like maybe at the start of the year. And BY Peers is our new BYP community that's focused on different cities around the world um, and also different clusters. So, you know, BY Peers writers, BY Peers doctors, etc. So we had a, an event that I went to for the, the launch um, and we had all these kind of black professionals come along and it was really nice because it was the first event since COVID um, and meeting them. And one of them came up to us and was like, oh, I thought I'll come because thanks to BYP Network, I just got a job at Capco recently. Um, so I just wanted to come and thank you guys in person. And it was just this kind of like, oh, my God, that's so great to hear. You know, and it's interesting because we're like, oh, why don't you just email us in? Why don't you tell us? And like, I really want to tell you guys in, put, put in person. But as you can imagine, during a pandemic, that wasn't a thing. So it's like we know there's so many of these stories that, you know, it's impactful when you hear it directly from them. 
Um, and also at that same event, um, you know, this other group of people came up to me saying that, to be honest, most of the opportunities that they and their friends have had has been from BYP Network. So I think, yeah, just hearing stuff like that, like really understanding that you're, you are making a difference in people's lives and they can link it back to you and your company, I think is, is super exciting and super cool. We'll finish with a segment called Answer the Internet. This is where we scour the internet for the questions that the public needs answers to. And the question we'll put to you today, Kike, is what is more likely, starting a business from scratch and getting a net worth of $15 million or winning $50 million in the lottery? I think starting a company from scratch and yeah, it creating $50 million in revenue or valuation is a lot more likely than winning the lottery of $50 million. And why, why do you say that? Why is that your answer? Because lot- lottery is, I don't know the stats, but it's like one in like 0.0001 or something crazy like that. Whereas I think with company, there's so many business owners, there's so many people that have created companies or are creating companies they're getting funding and the funding can make their valuation $50 million, you know, without their revenue being that or small companies that grow off the internet or influencers that are making money online. I think it's, it's, it's about taking that control of your own life and destiny and figuring out, okay, how do I make this money or how do I grow this company? And I think there's a lot more people now who are entrepreneurial. So I think it's more likely to do that than, than win the lottery. Great. That's a really good answer. Do you have any final words for our audience? No, no, I don't. But um, I guess they can just follow BYP Network on social media, which is just at BYP Network on all platforms. And I'm at Kike on a window on all platforms as well. 